Man, oh man, waking up on a Saturday morning, grabbing your BMX mongoose and riding down to the local arcade was a ritual. A $10 roll of quarters saved up from doing your shitty paper route in your pocket, which were always late on Saturdays for some reason. All morning you were doing battle with giant gorillas, yellow orbs that wanted to eat you, and driving timed-out racing games with questionable steering mechanisms. Then the arcades went away, because we all had the same games on our TVs. Atari, Nintendo, Sega Genesis. Then the games became more complicated. Eventually, everyone had a computer, and the games on there became darker, edgier, more violent. The world was introduced to its first-person shooter games with names like Castle Wolfenstein and Doom. You were more than hooked, like a crack addict. You never left your bedroom, maybe to not even use the bathroom, until finally your dad kicks in the door and tells you to get the fuck off that damn computer and go do something with your life. Well, lucky for the rest of us, some of those kids that never left their bedrooms did go on to do something with their lives. And we're just as lucky to have one such kid who's now a creative director, art designer, and id Software's game director of 2020's award-winning Doom Eternal, and a huge pop culture nerd junkie, Hugo Martin, on this episode of $5 Buzz. Step inside, lock the door behind you, uh, make sure the towel is properly positioned. You're stepping in on another episode of $5 Buzz. We're ripping the lid right off season three, episode one. Uh, my name is your humble, I'm your humble narrator tonight, George Kursar, up here in Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, checking in with uh, my two co-pilots in Los Angeles, Pete Liska. What's going on, Pete? Hey, how's it going? Doing good, well, man. Good, man. Yeah. yeah, back on so I, season. You know, uh, season three is upon yeah. us. It's exciting. Yeah, it's hard to believe, man. We did forty episodes, and it's good to uh, be back in the chair. Rogers dusting off the microphone as well. What's going on, man? Well, you know, today we missed one more of the big dogs on the uh, Ghosts of Christmas Path. My boy Peter Bogdanovich died today. The man who directed the Last Picture Show and What's Up Doc, Paper Moon, and the cult film Saint Jack. So. He, he 82 years of age so uh, we're all we're all sitting watching i watched a little bit of uh paper moon earlier today he's had yeah. a great run yeah. yeah um well i'm really excited about tonight's guest uh it's the first guest that's ever that's appeared on the show that went to the same high school that i did uh and elementary high school. school and elementary school which i was <laughs> gonna say linwood elementary school uh our guest tonight is hugo martin uh, he is the director of id software which is the company that uh, creates the video game doom uh, doom eternal was the game that uh, hugo worked on last but uh, before we jump into the professional stuff hugo how you doing tonight i'm good sorry for the delay it was a little hard for me to find a room here to uh, to be able to do this but i'm glad i was able to figure it out um, yeah. Yeah, none of our, none of our listeners are going to know that, Hugo. <laughs> Actually, anybody who watches my streams, uh, they know the score because it's always like that. So uh, <laughs> the, the uh, yeah, I mean, um, I'm good and it's cold as hell here in Texas. That's where I'm at right now. And it is uh, it is freezing outside. We're actually going through like uh, 
you know, a, a, a cold front has moved in and, and it's uh, everything's turned into ice. What so, does that mean freezing in Dallas? I was just in Chicago where it was four degrees. What is freezing Dallas to Dallas? Uh, probably like in, it can get into the, I know you're going to laugh. It can get into the high twenties here. It'll touch the high twenties here briefly, usually the low thirties, but like, I think the thing is like, uh, actually I shouldn't say that somebody out there in Texas is going to be like, what are you talking about? It gets colder than that. But, um, like, it's just that you're not prepared for it. I think that's the thing about Texas that every, everybody's, Oh, what about the heat? Honestly, like everything about Texas is built for the heat. So like, massive acs everywhere like it's it, it's not a problem like and it's a dry heat in texas so like it doesn't really feel that bad i mean the i, I you know m- me and george come from new york i mean it's like the humidity being in a subway in the middle of new york summer with the humidity and all the people that is like horrible like the <laughs> the heat in texas is bad don't get me wrong but it's a dry heat yeah uh, which is very tolerable it's the cold that the, you're just not ready for here like nobody is so Sometimes we'll get like a sheet of ice, like a little bit of rain when it's freezing and everything will have like just a, a little quarter inch of ice on it and you can't go anywhere. Like it's, um, and you fall on your ass just like a YouTube video. Like you, you test it out. You're like, how bad could it be? <laughs> One step out your door, you are on your ass. Everybody falls in Texas because it's quite literally everything is frozen solid. Um, it's not like that right now, but, but it might be uh, in a little bit. Copy that. <laughs> Um, well, Hugo, let's take it back, um, to the old days. You and I grew up in the same neighborhood out in, uh, yes. Long Island, Farmingville, New York. I remember all I of just, us, you were there. So was I, man. I still, is your family still out in Farmingville by any chance? Not Farmingville in West Babylon, but I went back to Farmingville to go see Sachem and, uh, my old house on Pine Lawn Avenue. Yeah, dude, I was there. My parents still live in the same town and the same house. So I walk around the neighborhood too. And Hugo, uh, this is like the mid mid 80s, a lot of tackle football up at Linwood Elementary School, riding around on uh, BMX bikes, a lot of going up to the video store. And it was pretty apparent. Triple, Triple P pizza. Triple P pizza. Yeah, dude. Tri-County handball courts uh yeah which we were anybody who hung out behind tri-county i remember my older brother who was like 10 years old he's like we were in elementary school he's like i don't ever want to see you behind tri-county which was literally right behind our elementary schools like we we were like these innocent kids playing at the playground and just beyond the fence like 10 feet apparently that was where like gangs would hang out you know and my brother always thought i don't see you playing handball back there i'd be like why i mean (laughs) they're always there (laughs) Hugo, there was a lot of long hairs walking around with like Iron Maiden and Ozzy back pa- uh, back patches on their denim coats, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that. Uh, see, the reason why my brother knew that because he was one of them. I mean, he he was yeah. the long hair with an Ozzy shirt. So, uh, absolutely. What else was over there? I mean, the the Seven Eleven. I mean, it's funny yeah. that we bring that up because like, and I went to Pizza Stop when I went home, which was lived up to the to the name. I have to say, the the uh, the memory uh, that's happened. I don't know if this has happened to you, but like the memory of your favorite pizza places, sometimes you'll go back and you're like, eh, like this is not as good as I, either I built it up in my mind to be better than what I thought it was, or they changed their sauce, which is usually the case. Well, here's the thing for me is, man, I live in Connecticut now and these people in Connecticut are like, they're all jazzed up about these pizza places in New Haven, which I'll give them a lot of respect. It's good pizza, but I'm like, dude, I'm from Long Island. Like any pizza back there is better than this stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I had I rem- pretty good thin crust pizza in Upper uh, 
uh, Illinois. I got yeah. yeah, yeah. So Hugo, but, but taking it back to like the video stores and 7-Eleven playing those coin-operated video games, like, and it was pretty apparent from early on that you were a very gifted artist and that you had a very unique talent. Um, what kind of, what do you remember about those like early, late, 80s early 90s kind of influenced you as an artist to kind of harness your vision to kind of what you're doing now as uh a, you know making a top class video game um a couple things i mean um it's funny you say that because i i often reference uh so there was the 7-eleven that was kind of diagonal to um uh the tri-county uh mall or whatever that was yes. I mean, it was like 10 things and then like there was the taxidermist and then next to the taxidermist, which the taxidermist, I don't remember if it was still there. It's a bar now, dude. It's a bar. Yeah. I, I saw that. And, yeah. and, um, and next to that was a Seven Eleven, and in the Seven Eleven, obviously BMX, no helmets go there, eat what is the worst hot dog ever. But when you were a kid, it was awesome. A big and, uh, and they had like Ninja Gaiden in there. They would always have yes. a uh, golden a axe. Yeah. Golden axe or Ninja Gaiden they had for a while. And um, just kind of uh, just leaving that incredible impression on you is certainly as ch children of the 80s, you know, the, the, the glory days of the arcade, which would ultimately be the end of the arcade. I think when we look back on it, it's funny now in Dallas, we have like Barcadia, which are like these hip bars that are that are like arcade bars. And all the arcades are what were in the 7-Elevens and pizza shops when we were kids. It's like Mortal Kombat and, you know, yeah, Street Fighter and all that good stuff. So um definitely like really fond memories you know of that stuff and i think like a lot of kids and a lot of developers uh, who end up working in the industry as game developers like myself uh you just it means a lot to you i mean you you uh i was obsessed with video game video games and um and movies for sure like um i think the art was a byproduct of an obsession with video games movies and cartoons and um I don't know if you remember, like also my mom was incredibly supportive to irritating levels of uh, obsession. She was so up my ass about everything related to that stuff. She really wanted me to pursue it. So she gave me, I'm very fortunate. I mean, she took me to classes and I ended up um, studying privately with this guy, Raphael DeSoto. And uh, he, he taught adults, but she convinced him uh, to teach me. And so it was just me and a bunch of old ladies in about sixth grade, I started, um, I had done a bunch of, she took me to a bunch of private classes before that, always searching for like different teachers to teach me. So I started really young. Like I remember like even like third grade, I think I was having private instruction, um, which I was not a good student. I mean, it's not like, oh, the young product. No, I was bored out of my mind that whoever she had come to my house to teach me was like, this kid does not pay attention for shit, mm -hmm. uh, which I did not. And um but I was like, I was passionate about drawing. She wanted me to harness that talent. She wanted to encourage it. So she got me a lot of private teachers in that house in Pine Lawn when I was in Linwood. And um, eventually I found this guy, Raphael DeSoto. I, all the teachers up to that point were really good. Took some classes around Long Island, wherever I could go. And then um, he was like a master artist. It was crazy. Like, like uh, a lot of the artists from the 50s and 60s, the golden age of illustration, uh, before photography and and eventually the computer would basically squash uh, illustration. Be before all that stuff in the 50s, I mean, illustrators were the, the the photographers. I mean, 
the the first um uh we're talking uh, like all the dime store novels and stuff too yeah like exactly no that's what he did he did he did pulp uh pulp novels yeah. the the uh, you know, these cheap dime store pulp novels, detective magazines, The Shadow is one of the things he did. And, and a lot um, of guys also did advertising. They did. And so when they retired, uh, a lot of them moved to Long Island, a lot of moved them, a lot of them moved to Connecticut, some of them, you know, all the, the neighboring areas that were much cheaper because they, you know, they, they spent the prime of their career in the city and then they moved out to like Long Island. So that's where he retired. He had his studio uh, and he was just an old man in his late, uh, early eighties. And he, uh, he said, all right, I'll teach your son. And I was really lucky, man. I, I got to be around a painter that I had no business being around at all. Um, and just absorbing it. Cause he was just, and I wasn't a good student. Again, I was, I was a kid. I was fucking bored. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, but, um, that's really where it started. I think that gave me, um, you know, the 10,000 hours principle, which I, I, I believe it. I, I put in maybe five, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I was already had like a, a big advantage because I'd been exposed to a bunch of stuff and just little things like just advanced techniques and theories on art that I would have learned later in college anyway. It's not like I learned something no one will ever learn. I mean, I just got it earlier. And um <laughs> That's something very similar to what Chuck Jones said. By the time he got into professionalism, he'd already or in school, he'd already done ten thousand hours. By the time yeah. he got there, the the problem for me was because um, I think George is will will omit this part. But I was I was we were I wasn't I wasn't the most behaved kid either. So like, um, I wanted to ask you, Hugo, like towards the end of high school, because and you could maybe you could give the cliff notes of how heavy. Uh, what was going on, you know, 93, 94 on our high school. And what was the final years of high school, like your senior year? What was it like? And how did you decide to go to Pratt? Was it? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I could do much of anything else. My grades were, I found my credit card, when I, uh, credit card, my report card when <laughs> I was uh, home and uh, my goodness, it was not very good. Um, so, but I, I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. I mean, we were, we were, uh, I was just focused on that. I, I didn't know what I wanted. I, I wanted to be an artist because I was exposed to what the life of a retired illustrator, he was an illustrator, would, would look like. I, I, I didn't want to do that. I mean, he, I, I have a different perspective on it now because I'm 45. But when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this, man. This guy lives in his gallery and his studio. Uh, so I knew I wanted to do something with entertainment. That That's all I knew. But I mean, like most high schools, and certainly in the 90s, I mean, like, you know, they didn't have a very good, uh, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I, you, it was just like, you want to be a painter. Like, in hindsight, it's like, you know, what does that even mean? You know, like, or yeah. I want to work in entertainment or I want to be a director. Like, there was no real um, avenue. avenue or clear understanding of what you could do in the uh, entertainment industry coming out of high school in 1994. So. Uh, I submitted my stuff to all the local art colleges, which we grew up in Long Island. So the good news is we were surrounded by the best art schools in the country, like Pratt, SVA, Parsons, you know, these are really good schools. And um, I ended up getting, I just, I got the best scholarship of the schools. I got a really good scholarship to Pratt and, uh, and went there, which was uh, super fun. But uh, because I was kind of further along in my art education than your average uh, 12th grader, uh, 
and Pratt was kind of a very fine art school, uh, you know, very much like uh, con contemporary modern art, you know, um, abstract art, like I, it didn't really connect with me. So I did not do well at all. I was, I did very poorly my first year in art school. It took a little while for me to like find what it is I wanted to do. And, um, and honestly, to, to any young, young listeners uh, in the audience, it honestly, the very thing that I got started doing when my mom said, oh, hey, he's got talent, let's find him a teacher, is the very thing I do now. It, it took me 10, 20 years to silence everything and in some cases tell everybody to shut up. And I'm like, I really just wanna make stuff blow up in video games with shotguns and deem, like, you know, like when I, when I got back into concept art after Pratt and all these different things, I was able to just get back to what I was doing when I was a kid anyway, which was just drawing monsters and, you know, doing the cool stuff that I wanted to do all along. But uh, art school training, it's like, you know, it gets a little um, formal, you know, and, yeah, and you, Pratt, you Pratt get was interested, They were more interested in Jeffrey Coons, less Frank Rosetta, right? Yeah, exactly. It's weird, actually. Like, you couldn't go into a lot of art schools, at least in, in the 90s in New York, and say, I like comic books. You know, they'd be like, what? Comics? You know, like, what? I'm like, yeah, I think they're fucking awesome. Like, what What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and um, like, so, yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, it was kind of a roundabout path to, to get back to video games, but the, the passion for video games never went away. I did get a chance to work in the film industry, which was my dream. And, and um, that was really cool. But ultimately I had a better connection to video games uh, and I never stopped playing them and they never stopped getting more sophisticated. That was the good news was like, as I was progressing in my career, so was the video game industry in terms of technology. And now today, I mean, your average cinematic in a video game is good as anything you know, that you'll see in CG animation, just about, it's, it's incredible. So Hugo, after Pratt, like, could you uh, tell us a little bit how you made your way out to Los Angeles? Um, that was crazy. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't even believe I got into art school, to be honest, because we were not, none of us were very good students. I mean, George, were you doing good at 12th grade? No, dude, I was, um, well, the funny thing is, dude, after you and I grew up in the same neighborhood and then you moved to uh, like, another neighborhood with uh, with Amplo and, and all those guys. Yeah, with Chris Amplo, who, funny enough, is building the new uh, Nassau Coliseum. His twin brother, Joe, is the head coach of uh, Navy lacrosse, right? The men's I, I heard lacrosse. Yeah. And Brian Rapino, who I'm trying I tried to get to call in tonight, but he texted me and said to say hello to you he dude he worked at Goldman Sachs for 20 years so those three and yourself I mean I think you guys all did funny enough for all the damage that was being done uh, to our bodies and to the uh, environment at large everyone landed on their feet right yeah we were just exactly uh you, I was you know, not I doing good though no I was when not. I see uh young people I always just think at some point um your maturity is going to catch up with your intellect, you know, or your ambition. That's really it. Like your immaturity, we, you're all ambitious, but it's misplaced ambition, you know, because you're immature. So I think like at some point uh, we, you know, all of us, everybody, you know, uh, matures just enough for that to kind of balance itself out, um, which is good. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, uh, 
from from Pratt, I I actually um, so I, at the end of Pratt, I got serious. I I got a I left school for a little while. I actually did the Long Island blue collar house painting wallpapering thing for a summer or two. Was that Just with like, Gurgly? Were you with I did that. Gurgly? I, I did that with Gurgly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I uh, <laughs> who I saw this, who I just saw this weekend. And uh, well, at first I did it on my own, and then he got into it after me, and then we did it together. But like, um, and just kind of figuring out what it is I wanted to do. I refocused. Uh, then, uh, you know, I think there's a moment where uh, in a creative person's life, I think for a lot of people, where like you see something someone's doing, and you point to it and say, "I." that's what I want to do. Like, I, I think, I think I could do that. And even if I can't, I find it exciting enough that that's what I want to pursue. And up to that point, I was kind of going through the motions and uh, industrial light and magic came to Pratt and uh, the concept department came to Pratt concept artists. They designed the look of creatures. Uh, their concept team at that time was just about getting started on the, um, the, uh, the, um, what the hell do they call them? The special editions of the Star Wars. That's when they re-released the Star Wars movies and put in those new CG graphics. Right. Um, and then after that, they were getting ready for the prequels. So like uh, their concept team came and it was the coolest shit I'd ever seen. I mean, like the dude's like, my job is to draw spaceships and monsters all day. And I work in movies and I make a good living. And I was like, that's a job? Like, really? You? That's what you do. That's like and, dudes like Ralph McQuarrie and uh, Sid Mead and dudes like that. Exactly. And, and um, so that was it. I was just like, the spark was lit. The connection was made. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do with my life. I want to do that. And um, got really, really focused, got super, super motivated. And, uh, you know, I guess at that moment, the, uh, the image, the maturity caught up with the ambition. And, and I, uh, I was like, you know, had a serious fire lit under my ass. I had to get, I had to get into the industry. I had to learn how to do it. Problem is there's no training for that in New York, especially in the nineties. Like there's just nothing. I mean, you know, I'm in class and we're looking at, you know, Jeff Koons and like all this modern art stuff and, you know, uh, Jackson Pollock paintings. And I'm like, dude, I got to learn how to design spaceships. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with this, what you're teaching me right now. You know, like, so I, I just, I told my teachers what I wanted to do and I made my own program. They, they, um, they said, look, I said, look, I want to take these classes and I want to substitute the work that I do in these classes around New York City for, for your class. I'm just going to give you the homework that they're giving me. I want to be a concept artist. This is what I need. And I basically created my own curriculum. Uh, they all agreed, like, sure, cool, as long as you're doing stuff and you're, you seem excited. So I would take, like, I went to L.A. I went everywhere in New York that I could find anybody who did anything related to the entertainment industry the best I could do was animation. That was about as close as I could get because there is some animation in New York. I uh, started taking really um, uh, foundational figure drawing classes, traditional drawing, anatomy, like just just the, the kind of the, the, the basics uh, of, of uh, illustration, the kind of techniques and, uh, and fundamentals you would need to excel as a concept artist. Built up just enough of a portfolio to um, scrape around. And when I graduated, I, I got a job at Wizards of the Coast just, just bullshit jobs. It was, I was total, I had imposter syndrome. I was not a concept artist. I was just faking it, but I, but I wanted to do it. And I had just enough for portfolio, but at that point I had pretty much taught myself and whatever classes I could find. Um, I did a bunch of, I'm, I'm a big, um, this is cheesy, but I'm a big Tony Robbins guy, especially at the time. Cause when I was really unfocused, I, oh, sorry. Am I about to raise my hand? Oh, that's sorry. Something just said it. Right. Um, 
when I was really unfocused in art school, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with my life. I mean, I was like, all right, I got in with this major scholarship. I lost that inside of a year with the horrific GPA. I'm hanging out in New York City with my friends, not making art. I'm not motivated. I'm not doing anything. And, and um, you know, how do I get focused? So I, I was listening to really anything. I like self-help books. I'm really into that stuff. So, um, you know, one of the, I mean, I would look back on now and say some of what he teaches is kind of not, doesn't, doesn't really apply. It's a little hokey, but the one thing he does say that I think is accurate is that you just have to find somebody who does what you want to do and role model that person. So every concept artist that I saw, I kept seeing the name art center coming up, art center college of design in Pasadena. And I'm like, that's it. I got to go to art center. You know, like that's where I got to go. So I worked in the city on jobs doing this and that just long enough to be, Oh, look at that. <laughs> just, just long enough to be able to, um, to, to get enough money to be able to put myself, get myself over to LA to, to art center. And, uh, I found out I did, I did the, uh, the student loan, uh, thing. I worked out my financial aid and they gave me nothing. It was going to be too expensive. I remember I hadn't graduated Pratt yet. They told me that it was because I already, I would, I would, I will have already received my degree from Pratt an undergrad degree. Uh, and they, and art center is another undergrad. They do not give uh, student loans uh, to, you, you can only, all those student loans that you get, in particular the grants, are only given to first time uh, undergrad, uh, undergraduates. If you already have an undergraduate degree, you cannot get access to their grants. And I was like, that's it, that I'm gonna get this piece of paper from Pratt and I can't go to Art Center because of it, because I don't get the grants. And there's no way I would go to Art Center. Art Center is like absurdly expensive, it's ridiculous. So they said, yeah, so I went back to my liberal arts teachers. It was like a month before graduation. I just told them, I'm not, grad, you know, I'm not gonna come to your class anymore. You're gonna give me an F and uh, I don't want the degree. Uh, I did walk, I put on the hat, I went everything. I was three credits shy, but like I purposely failed. Uh, didn't get my degree. Went back to art center, got the grants. It was pretty funny when they, when they I, I told them what I did, they were all just kind of like, I don't know if you could do that, but sure. Um, and, and uh you know, bought a beater Honda Accord for a thousand bucks. And that thing took me all the way through Art Center, dude, three years. And it took me to my first job at Naughty Dog, which was crazy. Uh, made enough money freelancing. I, I spent two years um, working after Pratt. I knew I wanted to go to Art Center. I had it all set up. I needed to save money. I worked in the industry, got a chance to see what it is, you know, worked as a concept artist, but I was not a concept artist at all. I was, I don't know what the fuck I was doing. And um, saved up enough money and, and went out to uh, LA uh, to, to, to Art Center. And that was the best decision I ever made. That school is completely amazing. It's a Harvard of design schools. It was, it was nuts. And, um, and then that was it. After that, I, I had, then, I, then I was a real concept artist. I graduated. I learned to trade. I could apply that to work in LA. And I was off and running. I can only think of CalArts being the only other school out here that would uh, probably help in that same curriculum because I know that they do a lot of stuff with the film industry and they started, you know, a lot of the people that worked designing a lot of the stuff that they they were designing in the 90s as far as concept design. I know they did a lot of that. There are a lot of students that came out of CalArts as well. CalArts, I was going to go to CalArts. It's a, more for animation because I was, I was torn between animation and film. I didn't know if I wanted to be a concept artist or uh Certainly visual development and animation is another path. And I, I was, a, as a kid, you know, uh, I was, 
when me and George were in 11th and 12th grade, I was hanging out doing nothing. And then when I was home, I was watching Disney movies. So like, <laughs> I, I was like, secretly, I had this talent that I knew every word to every Disney movie. It wasn't too secret because I would make gurgly and everybody watched those movies with me. So like, uh, and then what was really funny was like Rapino and those guys, especially Gurgly and John Barry, they, they would secretly be like, I got to be honest, these movies are really good. And we, we would watch them. <laughs> I mean, me and John went to go see Lion King at a way too old age to be doing this because we were like 19. We went to go see that thing like seven times because I was completely obsessed. Um, I, I was just like totally obsessed with Disney. So, but CalArts is a really good school and um, there's a couple of good schools out there, but that was it. I mean, I, I finally connected the dots and, and found what I wanted to do, got the training to do it um, and, and uh, graduated and then just started working. Cool. Roger, do you think we take a break here and then talk about um, Hugo getting into uh, the industry he's in now? Yeah, it's sure. Let's, let's take a quick break and we'll, I'll bring it back in and I'll, uh, I'll jump on and we'll start talking about what we got. Hey, we have a quick favor to ask. We want to get the word out, and the way to help is for you to subscribe to us on either Apple or Spotify. And it would be really huge if you give us a rating and a review. Much love. All right, guys. Well, we're back with Hugo. Um, uh, getting the backstory and uh, some funny, some fun uh, stories between uh, some childhood oh, stuff, right. some high school stuff with George and uh, Hugo's been, <laughs> been awesome. Um, Raj, what do you got, man? So Hugo, so you get you get back to California, you go to school in Pasadena. When when do you officially actually start your career as somebody who works within the uh, video game industry? So I started uh, after Pratt for two years, and that was uh, in animation at MTV Animation. Uh, then I did concept art with Wizards of the Coast, um, and then I did. Uh, I did a few odds and ends jobs here and there, but then uh, the first job at an art center was um, at Naughty Dog, which was, uh, which was really cool. Um, I went to the uh, career uh, department at art center and they said, Hey, you know, we know a guy over the art center is full of connections. I went there, showed a guy my portfolio, got hired on the spot. It was amazing. And uh, they hadn't started uncharted yet. They were working on it at the time. It was very different from what it became. Uh, I got hired to work on Jack X team racing and um, it was an awesome company. Naughty Dog is one of the best. And um, it was an honor to be there. I had so much fun. I knew instantly uh, that I connected, like I belonged in a, in a video game studio, like, um, it, you know, just a lifetime of playing video games. It just was a good fit, you know, like, and um, I, uh, Ultimately, you got, see, you, you got to see Uncharted from the ground floor, huh? I did. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, uh, I got to work on Drake when they first started, and um, it was, it was cool. It was cool to see that. The majority of my time there was definitely spent on, on. I, I went there to work on Jack X Team Racing. It was a racing game for Jack and Daxter. I had just graduated. I went to Art Center for uh, automotive design again, using kind of the, the Tony Robbins approach. All of the all of my heroes were car design uh, majors at Art Center. So that's what I went to go do. And, and while I was at Pratt, uh, they had an industrial design program and a car design program. And I would say there is a large part of me that always wanted to pursue car design. That was another thing when I, when I saw what car design was at Pratt, I was like, 
I think that's what I want to do, but I don't know. There's a, I don't, I'm not as much of a car guy. I mean, I like beautiful cars as much as anybody, but when I saw the concept art uh, guy show up at ILM, that was the one that I was like, no, 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 that's what I want to do, you know? But, um, but getting to study automotive design at art center was, um, was fucking amazing. I mean, um, my te- my, my teacher was Ken Okiyama. He was the head of the department and he designed the Enzo Ferrari and that had just come out when we were in school. And I, it, you know, I had people from BMW and, you know, Honda, all these crazy studios teaching me about design Nike. Like, I mean, our, the, the, you get what you pay for, man. That school is really expensive, but it is amazing. And, um, so, uh, leaving there and, and, um, and going to uh, naughty dog. So, so I had a car design portfolio. Uh, well, at least there was a lot of automotive influences in my entertainment portfolio coming out of art center. So they gave me, um, they happened to be working on a racing game. I didn't even know that. I went in there and I just said, hey, here's my stuff. I'm looking for a job. And meanwhile, they were working on a racing game and they were like, oh, dude, you're perfect. Like just, you know. So every day I was just drawing cars for a video game. It was so much fun, these combat racing vehicles. And um, soon after that, I mean, I I liked Uncharted a lot. I I thought it was dope, but I kind of wanted to pursue something that was more science fiction. So after that, I went to... um, Blair Studios to go work with Tim Miller. He went on to direct Deadpool. Yeah, and exactly who that is. Yep. Yeah, and and he uh, he runs and owns Blur, and um, that was that was too much fun. That was that was uh, it was like a super creative frat house. That's what it felt like. It's just a bunch of young guys and girls, like people really driven, motivated. Um, I worked with Jeff Fowler. Uh, he was a good friend of mine. We worked on a short film together, co-directed it, and um, he went on to direct Sonic the Hedgehog. And uh, Dave Wilson, who directed uh, um, Dead uh, Bloodshot. Um, oh, the one with, with Vin Diesel. Yeah, with Vin Diesel. And I've, I mean, the graduating class of Blur circa 2010, I guess it would be, is uh, is very impressive. So. Uh, now I know that's the thing. I think once you get is that, in wait, LA, is that is that the extent of your involvement in the film world, or because you said you worked in the film industry for a little while? I did. So I was at I was at Blur for a while, and that was really great because it's a crossroads of like games, movies, IP development, you know, advertising. You know, Tim would develop his own IPs. I got I went there specifically to work on his one IP that he had. I don't think I could name it, but it was amazing um just because it's probably under nda or something and and um uh well actually no he mean he made a short film of it so it's called rockfish but but uh the the uh and then we would get other directors who would come and hire his concept department of which i was a part of to work in um on on development for their ips like their movies and their different things so all kinds of crazy projects like kevin eastman from ninja turtles fame the guy who developed insurance i mean he would come oh i have this idea for a for a movie and I would do concepts on it. And then like, then all of a sudden LucasArts would show up, Hey, we're working on this uh, little game called force awakens. We need concepts for it. And, you know, you're going to work on the cinematics and develop some of the characters for the games. Like it was crazy. Like, uh, I, you definitely, we, we had this and the office was sick. I mean, everything about blur is just, it's, it's every 20 something year old persons, uh, who's in the creative industry and wants to work in, the entertainment industry is, is uh, their dream, dream job. It was amazing and um, made really good friends. And then, um, and then after that, I went free, actually after that, um, <laughs> like every young person, I, I had that, like, you know what, I need to do my own thing. That's my own thing, my own thing. And so I, uh, I started developing my own IPs 
and went through that journey and learned a ton. That led to like, you know, I saved up a bunch of my own money to be able to do my own thing. And my wife, uh, at the time she was cool with it. We helped each other out. And I, for about three months, I mean, I just pursued my own intellectual properties, was working on something with, uh, with this guy called Mac. His name was Mac. He's a Navy SEAL. He had a show. I think it's called Super Weapons or something. It was on uh, the Discovery Channel. And, um, and we were talking about stuff. I mean, I had a bunch of things like, you know, like every person in LA, you know, working on the script. And, and um, I wasn't working on a script. I was working on an IP. And, and um, ended up doing stand-up comedy and, and acting classes. <laughs> you know, I was on the main stage at, uh, well, it's a bringer show, not a real comedy thing, bringer show. Uh, at the comedy store, though, that was nuts. And uh, uh, then just refocused, spent all of my money and some of the money we had saved for a house and, um, and went back to work. And that's after that, soon after that, I got Pacific Rim. I, I went in and uh, was lucky enough to be able to uh, work on the design of the Jaegers for uh, Pacific Rim uh, with Guillermo. Lived with him, quite, quite literally like worked in his house for... Uh, the better part of a year, and um, which was an incredible experience. I mean, being around Guillermo uh, for a year, just uh, watching him work. He he keeps his concept team very close. I was really fortunate to have uh, play a pretty big role in the development of that film, and um, see how an IP is developed. You know, at that level on feature films, uh, super close, and and uh, being at the right right at the at the tip of that creative uh endeavor was was amazing um yeah one of my and, personal friends worked on that too who owns a company with guillermo navarro the dp it's he, he uh, marana right yeah it's an it's what's well, kaplui industries it's a bunch of cameras what's the camera it's, it's what ernesto lamelli is the dp that i work with all the time and, and him and navarro bought like a shit ton of cameras so they sit on like phantoms and helium, you know, every red, every, every brand new camera, they've got five of them. <laughs> so it's good. It's a, one stop it, shop. Uh, the, uh, it's funny, dude. It's such a small world. Like the, the guy I went to school with Matt Tremblay, he's the lead designer on the red camera. And I remember when he was, so he, that, that started from, as you know, the, I'm sure the guy who owned Oakley right. left Oakley to start a company. And I remember my buddy, he hired my buddy at Oakley. And then um, uh, when he left, he's like, I'm going with this guy, you know, obviously mega billionaire. He's going to start his own camera company. It's called the red camera. And he kept telling us me all about red camera, red camera. And I remember this before, you know, it even came out. And and now like, you know, obviously it's a serious fucking camera and everybody knows what it is. Yeah. But like, um, and, and Navarro, I think it's Navarro. Um, after Pacific Rim, um, he went and uh, I believe the company was called Motion Theory and they started a company called Murata. And yeah, um, yeah Murata, I worked at Murata after Pacific Rim, who I think, I never saw him there, but I think Navarro was a part of that or something. Um, the, the, if I remember correctly, I don't think, Murata is not around anymore. It, it, I think it got dissolved, but we, we Murata worked on Pacific Rim. That was going to be like Guillermo's production company of some kind and a joint venture with Guillermo. I mean, he's involved in everything. Right. And then um, I got hired there as like a, a visual development supervisor. And, and then uh, honestly though, after, after all that stuff, like I, I knew seeing film up close like that, I was like, okay, I, I, 
wasn't sure where I would end up necessarily in the entertainment industry, but I, I really thought, you know what, man, I, I belong in games. Like I think it, it fit me better um, going all the way back to the Seven Eleven Ninja Gate and stuff. It's just like, I never stopped gaming. I mean, I actually, I did stop gaming for a little while when I was at art center just cause I had to fucking get my schoolwork done. But, um, but I ended up just putting aside the film stuff, which was tough. I mean, I'd spent so many what's years the thought process there though, Hugo. I mean, what's, I mean, to you, what is the big primary or core difference and the draw for gaming versus create, you know, creating a movie versus creating a game. I, I, uh, I like the, as an artist, I like the fact that the consumer uh, would, uh, and I, I told the consumer in the highest regard, some people hear me say that, they're always like, why does it always say consumer? I'm like that, because at Art Center, that's how I was taught. I mean, that consumer's never wrong. And, and um, the, the idea that they would spend, in a movie, they spend an hour and a half with your, with your work, you know, whatever it is, if you're, you know, whatever it is you do. And um, in a game, they'll spend, 200 300 400 hours i mean there's no i mean i i have fans who have spent easily a thousand hours playing doom eternal and um they know it so so the the there's nothing more satisfying to a creative team than to have something that people have that has the potential to for people to spend that much time with it's incredibly satisfying you know like uh, it's true that a commercial, I'm a commercial artist. I'm not a fine artist, but by definition, in, in my mind, a fine artist is someone who, uh, you, I'm sorry, commercial artist is someone who, who uh, makes art with others uh, for others, you know? Um, and I, I, so I'm a part of a team and I get to make it for other people. And it's unbelievably satisfying to see that, that reaction from the fans. Um, that, and then, um, so, so that was intriguing to me. And, and honestly, like- a fine artist for me. I would say a little bit uh, coming from press, but th- uh, this is, and I don't mean this in a negative way, uh, someone who makes art for themselves by themselves. I mean, right. I think if you are making fine art, in most cases, I think the best fine art that I love um, is, uh, is art that truly comes from, from the artist. You know, it's, it's their view on the world. Uh, you're getting to see the world through their eyes. That's what I find. It tends to be more personal. Absolutely. I mean, I love, like someone like David Hockney's work, I think is fascinating because yeah. I want to see, I want to see how it, that's how he sees things, which I think is amazing. Um, and, and because it's him and he's making it for himself. I mean, he, it's uncompromised. And, and in that regard, um, I'm envious. I mean, I think it's, I think it's incredible. Um, so the, uh, I also thought that, that uh, having spent time in, in a, in a film environment and then spent time in a game environment at Naughty Dog and, and then, you know, with Blur to a certain degree, uh, I just, I just clicked. I mean, you, you know it when you're there, like you, whenever you meet someone or see a thing or find yourself in a situation that you're like, this is where I belong. You know, um, I, I, when I left Naughty Dog, I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to go on my journey and, you know, do more science fiction stuff. And, and Uncharted was not science fiction, but I, I, fucking loved it there i mean i i really really liked it there i just liked the, the making games felt amazing it just it felt exciting to me i thought there was a buzz about it that i couldn't stop thinking about so when i got back to it um after pacific rim i just really wanted to focus in on working on games and uh, that's what i did so when you say science fiction 
you know, I, I, I always have a couple of different ways of looking at that. I mean, do I consider Star Wars science fiction versus Blade Runner or 2001 or Solaris by or, or Metro, uh, Metropolis by Fritz Lang? Or do I, you know, does that encompass does that encompass the more fantasy world of the space operas that Lucas has, has made so popular? Where, where do you sit in that pantheon of what you consider science fiction? Uh, really all of it. I, even fantasy. Like, yeah. uh, I would say I, I just have an interest in uh, creating worlds. You know, like that's, you know, uh, where we get to invent things and, and uh, world build and come up with fiction. Uh, very much uh, the little kid playing with his G.I. Joes and throwing the towel on the ground and pretending it's a mountain landscape and making gun sounds and making up stories for battles and set, you know, playing with your army. It's that. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it just... So with science fiction, it's really more about the fact that I get to design what the world is, you know. Um, you know, the characters, the outfits, the... And with... That's actually, you know with games too i mean it's it's you get to people get to live in that world which i think is um which i think is so so satisfying it's it's funny like too like um when when we were uh, george asked earlier about like those early memories i remember brian rapino uh gurgly john everybody's come to my house to play video games and i would uh you know i'd buy the the candle the color colorful candle from uh the store in the mall that every you buy all the trippy shit from the store in the mall. Uh, Hot topic. You, okay. And, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm um, gonna say Utopia. Was yeah, you Utopia? No, no. Yeah, yeah. Utopia yeah. too. And then um, put put it above my TV, and and they would come over, and we would play video games. And I listen. I wasn't the greatest athlete. I was terrible at math. I was really good at video games. I was the kid in the neighborhood who was like nobody could beat him at video games. What's really funny is now. I get crushed by people at my office because what really happens is you get older, there's something in your brain. It just does not fire as fast. And so I'm, I don't know about you guys, but if you ever play Warzone Call of Duty with these kids, dude, I mean, I get my ass kicked. I get by, slaughtered, man. Slaughtered. Plus, you, slaughtered you go, is it true? Is it true that uh, these guys, uh, the serious, serious ones, they actually play on a smaller screen because it's that much faster? Yeah. I've heard that. They they play, dude. They, their their setups, their rigs. This is the coolest part. I mean, they are like hot rods. I mean, it's the same way that um, somebody would trick out their Mustang in the in the eighties and nineties. I mean, like they know everything about the. You know, they set them up. They're blazing fast. These thousands of dollar rigs. And dude, you're you're just not touching them, man. I mean, they're just. And it's funny because I'm like the old guy in the studio. Like you know, I used to be the best at video games. Like yeah, dude, sit down. Like you know, like just. You know, which honestly, fuck them. I don't stop talking trash, even if I'm losing. I'm just like, so, so what? You know, the, the um, but it, it, that is really humbling. My son is 11 and he destroys me. I can't keep up with him at all. Um, it's, it's the funniest thing. But, but yeah, I, I think uh, to answer your original question, um, just uh, being able to design a world, you know, I, I think that's what's good about science fiction. I favor science fiction probably a little bit more than fantasy, but I like fantasy too. Right. Sure. So, hey, I was going to say, um, Hugo, uh, so right before the pandemic started, um, uh, you know, listening to the Joe Rogan podcast and all of a sudden fucking Hugo Martin pops up 
uh, guy I went to elementary school with, uh, played in the <laughs> band with. Uh, what's it like? Is uh, does Rogan give you a call, or do you guys get in touch with him, or what was that experience like? That's a pretty big situation nowadays, right? It's like I guess back in the old days, if you were going to go on Johnny Carson or uh, something like sure. that, is it is that fair to say, or what was that experience like? It was really nerve wracking. I I was very nervous. You um, fucking slayed it, dude. I listened to it again today, and you guys were just on, like he. I felt like you guys were just. It was just totally chill, right? Yeah. The, other than like, I did think that he was. Um, people comment on it like he he is funny. Like a couple of times, I was just like, I don't think Joe uh, likes to talk about that too much. But but uh, he he wanted to talk a lot about VR and stuff like that, and. Um, you know, because of the industry, like I can't really talk too much about things that right. I don't work on because people will interpret that as, you know, oh, you know, there'll be an article like, oh, it's working on a VR game. No, right. I just he asked me a question, you know, but yeah. um, the uh, and, and I think because he's such a Quake guy, you know, he really just wanted to talk about Quake. But but uh, so on that front, we kind of missed each other a little bit. But no, uh, our PR people are amazing. So uh, in the build up to the game. I think that they uh, look for opportunities for people who are interested in talking about Doom. I think Joe is a really big Quake fan and he knows the id guys from way back. You know, he had Carmack on his show. Carmack was yeah. the founder of it. And so uh, he saw and heard about Doom. And I think Joe keeps tabs on some of the, the bigger games coming out there. And uh, he, you know, Doom being this like classic id game yeah. brought back to life with AAA graphics. And um, yeah, he, it was uh so, so he agreed to do it. And, and I went there, I was just super nervous. And um, yeah, the, that was the only thing I, 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 when I was on there, I just didn't know, like he wanted, I, I'm talk, I want to talk about Doom. <laughs> That's yeah. it. But you know, whenever we got on the subject of like VR or anything else, I was, I'm not sure how to answer that stuff just because it's just not what I work on. And I don't want to be misleading or, or seem like I'm giving hints about what we could be doing in the future. But um, but it was cool. It was it was definitely really uh, really fun. And uh, he's got an amazing studio. I mean, it's, yeah, it was, it was so. a it, yeah it was a it was a great experience. Felt and really one o- to be able to do that. One other Doom question I had, and uh, it's probably before your time, but was Trent Reznor involved in the soundtrack in the old days? And that's uh, or did he did some of the expansion packs? Yeah, Quake. I mean, back then, so it is, it is a crazy company. I mean, that's, um, give the listeners like explain like how, uh, the orders of magnitude, how big this company is that you're working it, for. It kind of, listen, I didn't do this so I can brag on this. Cause I wasn't there. I was with okay. George hanging out in the back of Linwood when this was going on, but like, not really, <laughs> this was 92. So we were in high school, uh, not going to class, but the, uh, so, so, uh, it pretty much invented first-person shooters. I mean, I right. you know, sure, can you say that specifically? I mean, there were other things going on, but like, you know, the largest contributor, if not the creator of the first-person shooter genre, uh, John Carmack, you know, developed among the one of the first 3D engines or the first 3D engine in video games. I mean, the guy's a genius, certified, legit. Um, you got to think like prior to that, it's like Super Mario Brothers. And then he's like, fuck that 3d well doom wasn't 3d but like the quake was but like moving through three-dimensional space uh you know with the shotgun murdering demons i mean uh, Ca- Go- castle wolfenstein then doom or is it yeah kind of like one, one back yeah, no castle Wolf- yeah wolfenstein 
first, then Doom. Where does Where does Grand Theft Auto fall into that? That's way know, later timeline. Wait, way, way later. Way later. Way later. Yeah, and, and and they've certainly blazed their own trail. That's like, you know, forever changed games. Uh, well, they thought Doom was the end of civilization. Wait till Grand yeah. Theft Auto comes in. <laughs> yeah. So so I mean, uh, and the stories of it back in the day. I mean, it was a bunch of kids you know, like 20-somethings changing the face of uh, entertainment just because they thought, and, and making each other laugh. I mean, they were like, give him a shotgun and he should murder demons. And we should call it Doom because uh, in, um, in The Color of Money, I fucking love that this is where the name of Doom comes from because I love The Color of Money. And- uh, The Scorsese uh, movie with Mark, Paul Newman? Yeah, yeah. when, when uh, uh, Vince, Tom Cruise's character, he pulls okay. out- uh, the, oh, um, the the broomstick, the, the doomstick, the, 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 the pool yeah. stick. He get, yeah, he opens it up, and then the guy asks him what it's called, and he says doom. doom, and that's that's where they got it from. So, like, that's as a child of the '80s, the creators of Doom used all of these '80s references to inform the the they just made their just they were like they loved Evil Dead, they loved Aliens, and they liked you know all these pop culture references that me and George were just you know. That that was our that was our shit. I mean, we were kids when that was. Had a power on. test. That was my shit, man. Come yeah, on, exactly. No, that's an awesome story. I love that. And and so they made they made doom out of that and and uh, changed everything. And dude, the stories, you know, like the the parking garages. You know, when you when you make a game that successful and you make it with like like thirteen people. I mean, there was nobody there. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like the stories. It's like, it's like, like building a computer in your garage. Absolutely. And uh, a garage full of them. This guy had a Lamborghini and that I had a Ferrari and like all this crazy shit. The only guy left from those days is uh, at it is Kevin Cloud. And and he's super cool about the stories. Like, you know, we want to bother him and have him tell us some of the stories, but he's always really cool about it. Like, come on, Kevin, tell us what was like was going on. There. <laughs> but but um, I mean, they wrote a book about it. The Masters of Doom. But um so yeah, that's the origins of the company. When I was there, Carmack was on his way out. I worked, there was an overlap with me and Carmack by about uh, a month, two months. And um, I saw him a couple times at the studio. The guy's obviously a genius. And, um, but now honestly, it is like Disney. So I am the next generation, you know, Disney was founded by the nine old men. They invented the medium and blah, blah, blah. And then those guys retired and the next generation came in and they did Little Mermaid and Lion King. And then those guys retired and now it's the Pixar generation. So right now in its sort of uh, timeline, I think we're in the uh, the Little Mermaid phase of it. We're like generation two. And then um, after us, there'll, there'll be another, so somebody's got to carry on the mantle and and uh, carry the torch for it after, after we're all gone. But it's an honor, man. I, I value these IPs tremendously. It's a really big deal to work on them. I have to treat them with respect. If I don't, the fans will find where I live and, and I will be in serious trouble. Ouch. But no, you know, you know what though? It's 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 awesome because at every turn in your career and every path along the way, you've given your absolute best. You're hundred percent. You've been so engaged and interested, even if you didn't know exactly what you were doing, as you said it just is refreshing to see someone that's worked that hard and done that much land in the spot and respect the spot and talk so nicely of your predecessors. And, and it just feels right that you're in that spot based on everything you've been saying. Man, my brother, thank you for that. My brother 
like we said, he was the kid playing handball with the Ozzy shirt on. Doom is all about classic album cover. Like that's what I base Doom on because that's the origins of Doom. Like when you look at the brand and what they based it on, I'm like, dude, I grew up with that shit. Like that's, I, I was, man. Iron I, I, Maiden album covers, right? That's it, exactly. The first things that I drew were Iron yeah. Maiden album covers. That's exactly yeah. what Doom looks like. If you look at Doom Eternal. That's 100% what it looks like. You know? And consequently, George has pointed out multiple times, those graphics were way ahead of their time, those Iron yeah. Maiden covers. They were incredible. And unbelievable. Absolutely. And I mean, a- Hugo, I think you would agree that uh, just it was just so, it was mesmerizing, the art of like the Iron Maiden stuff and the Judas Priest, a- Anthrax. All those early, mid-80s uh, heavy metal stuff was just incredible. Yeah, Dio. And that's, yeah. It, so in our folders when we're designing doom that's that's all we look at you know like because it's uh it's it's you know respectfully paying uh tribute to those to that great era of art and music and then we modernize it of course for for a new generation and what's amazing honestly dude is uh you know it's it's found an audience a huge audience and and i think uh we're super proud of that you know, um, there's there's a there's an element of nostalgia to Doom, and and I think that's great. But it can't all just be nostalgia. I think we've seen that lately with movies that maybe over-index on the nostalgia, and you're like, all right, man, you got to do something new, also. I, so I think you're talking to the choir on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get, yeah, I get so inundated with the lack of ideas, and you know, listen, I I, I come from a background where I I I love that we have finally come to a point where the studios recognize all of this wonderful IPs that originally existed that were just being left by the wayside and treated with proper respect, you know, Marvel comics and blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, I also miss my, all the president's men. I miss my apocalypse. Now my clockwork oranges, I miss my serious cinema, which is as it has become what comic books were in the seventies. Right. They, they have fallen by the wayside and now you barely find them on the digital platforms. And now we've become almost inundated with that sort of uh, culture oh, yeah. permeated us. It's 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 front and center now. And I don't I don't see it actually repealing anytime soon. I don't what I like. I, I actually then I totally agree. And then um, but with a 24 now, it's uh I'm blown away with how good the horror movies are becoming. Like that's where the real art is now. Like, honestly. That we can agree on. That, that's what I, I mean, I, I'm a film producer. I generally make horror movies. So that, that's my, that's my main focus. So I agree with you. horror films. I look at separately than the uh, genres we were just talking about because they're, they, they can be both fantasy and extraordinarily serious. Right. I mean, yeah. You can have everything from The Thing to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, and and those are two completely different worlds and two class A horror films, you know. I, I uh, you know, I would say it among the best movies that I've seen. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and then it's like the the originality now is in horror films. And and like uh, like uh, It Follows was one of the best movies Solid. I've seen. Solid. In a really fucking long time, I was blown away with how good that movie is. Like solid motion picture, and and then um, you know, Hereditary is 
I mean, it's, I, I want to say this. I don't know if I could say this. All right, I think I can say it. I'm going to put that up there with The Exorcist, I think, in terms of just like, I watched that shit so many times, especially the end. The end in the attic is, it's just, I can't stop watching it. I'm like, everything about the attic, or is that that's in the the tree? Yeah, sorry, the tree house. Yeah, in the tree house. The tree house. Like, dude, Jesus Christ. Like, it's so good. It is such a good movie. And um, I thank God, thank God that that's going on. You know, like, I, I really and, and then, you know things like Get Out. You know, you're, I totally agree with what you're saying that the the face of horror has actually been able to come up front and center. You know, even uh, David Gordon Green's Halloween was a movie that made eighty million dollars at the box office. That's, Which is that, that, that's never you know it's not that's rare, right? I mean, how rare is that? And now it's become the norm. You know, and I wasn't a big fan of the two It films, but they grossed a fortune. You know. So I really liked I really liked a lot the first it the character like the, the second one, yeah. I, I couldn't get enough of his his portrayal of of uh, Pennywise um, his voice and everything I've watched that I just I loved that so much I, I really did um, yeah I, I just just the way that he uh, just he, he carried the whole I mean as he should he was the star of the movie but like I couldn't get enough of him uh for sure and uh, no it's it's really then what, what's hilarious now is like you know you go see the remake movies and you're just like god damn it man this is terrible and then over the break i watched cobra kai which turns <laughs> out to be like one of the best fucking shows i've ever seen like i dude i watched that stuff like a little kid i felt like i was in i was you go at- we've been waiting for zapka to <laughs> fucking do that everyone's behind zapka right now right how are you dude, not i i I have I was as in I haven't been that engaged in something since the time that Jesse Spano started taking the episode she took speed on Saved by the Bell. I mean, I was riveted. I was just like, we're watching the next season immediately. You know, uh, we binged it. We binged, you know, seasons one through four. And this show's awesome. It's it's amazing. I, and there's no way that they would have made a movie that would have been that good. Like, no. that. Uh, like this is this is honestly i felt that way a little bit about dune i gotta be honest and i love dune i thought it was really good i was like dude this is beautiful it looks really cool didn't really like the end but still thought it was dope but i was like man dune the show would have been pretty dope or dune the video game that would have been awesome but but um, they would not have had the money yeah they would, yeah, it's true. would not have had the money that they had for the movie and and you know the movie ends in the middle of the book so yeah he has i mean He's he's a little mad at everybody right now, Denise, but it'll come to fruition. It's all about the second half. That's that's where it all comes together. In part, he, the 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 thing I noticed, and I think it's COVID. It's it's totally COVID. But like the the at times, just the lack of like um, I want to say production value, I guess, because it's like the final scene in Doom. Like there was some amazing scenes in that movie. I really liked it. I was like, this is beautiful. But then at the end, it's just, you get the sense that they're like, all right, we got to shoot the final scene. We have no money. Where are we going to do this? I don't know. Like behind the rocks over here. Just like, should we wait till sunset? And that fuck it. Who cares? Just go behind the rocks, you know, like just fight. And you're like, dude, this is the end of a major motion picture. I did not feel that, but okay. (laughs) You know, I was like, I'm like, I remember sitting in a movie theater and I was like, I'm like, this is, this is where we're doing this. Like behind, you know, 
what, where are we? Like, this is like, you, you know, they just, the, the, the guy's like, where are we going to do this? Right over there, over there by the rocks, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know, like, uh, it just felt so underwhelming. And then same with, with, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I remember being like this here, like, dude, in the eighties, when there was no CG, we had the marshmallow man walking down Manhattan, climbing buildings. We yeah. had other worlds opening up on the top of the fucking, you know, skyscrapers. In Afterlife, with all of our CG effects, we could make all that shit fake, green screen. It was in a fucking cornfield. There was nothing. Like, and, and both times I was just like, what's going on? Like, are they just, there's, but it's probably COVID, I think. I would think. I don't know. That movie was done before COVID. So that, that doesn't have an excuse. <laughs> well, hey, Hugo, about, it's about time to wrap it up. Were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, Hugo, we want to be mindful of your time. I know you got to go, but, uh, I just wait. I know that you are a Star Wars fan, and I know you're a fan of this film, Road Warrior from the 80s. Never heard I of it. Last episode of Boba Fett. Did you see it? And I did. is it an homage to the Road Warrior? I did not see the last episode of Boba Fett because the first episode of Boba Fett, some people whose opinion I respect were like spitting on the floor. So I was like, oh man, like really, this is not good. But I'm going to see it anyway. But, um, I, so it is. It's doing a. It's doing a road warrior thing. Well, I, I thought it did. Did you, Roger? Did you see the second episode? I, I, I wait till those things are all lined up. Yes. Every Wednesday, so that I can just watch it all the way through. Did you guys see um, one last thing here? I another gem that I stumbled across uh, with streaming is Primal. Gendy Tartofsky's Primal. The, the it's a caveman and a, and is and a dinosaur. So it's animated. Uh uh-uh. uh I but all you guys should check it out. Okay. Talk about art, man! Holy shit! And it's total doom. I mean, it's it's just pure nonsense, violence, caveman tearing apart fucking d- dinosaurs, <laughs> and like, dude, it's called Primal. It's it's a directed and created by Gendy Tartoski. Of uh, yeah. he did uh, he did uh, Clone Wars. He did uh, Powerpuff Girls. He guy's an amazing director of animation, and it's gorgeous. It's violent. It's that nobody talks. You know, it's it's just about a, a cave or this vicious, you know, uh, caveman just trying to make his way through um, through uh, this prehistoric world. It says he was inspired by Conan the Barbarian, vintage pulp novels, and The Revenant. <laughs> yeah, that that's accurate. Um, it is it is uh, it is bonkers. Uh, e- easy show to watch. Trust me, you guys. Uh, watch a couple episodes like y- you guys will dig it it's beautiful too it's gorgeous like just really beautiful show what's it on what platform uh it's it's cartoon network so whoever carries cartoon network i forget okay. it, it, it like maybe hbo max or something give them a plug yeah yeah really really good uh i and then lastly i i have to i started to watch uh midsomar but then like it's weird because i've had some people say that 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 is really you know the guy the the guy who made uh, it's uh, pronounced midsummer, midsummer, yeah, and and uh, the the like I've Ari, heard people Ari say Aster, that the director, yeah, yeah, I heard it's people say it's really good, and then I've I seen some rev- okay, good, because I was like, this has got to be good. Come on, dude, that guy's like a I genius. dig the shit out of it. it. It's 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 fun. It's longer, it's funnier, it's fucking darkly funny, especially in the beginning, and it's like you know, and, and it's the movie that gives us Florence Pugh. And 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 now she's become a household name practically. 
and she is fantastic in it. It, it's it's a uh, it owes a lot to the Wicker Man, owes a lot to the original Wicker Man, but I think it does a very damn good job. I know there were some people who hate it. Fuck the haters. I, I think that movie is damn good. I watched, I watched a tiny bit. I forgot where I was. I was like on my couch with my headphones on and my kids, and then there was like a scene. And they were taking drugs and this one dude was losing his mind. And you just, I started to get this wicked anxiety. I'm like, man, this is going to be one of those movies. Like, <laughs> it, it, there, There's a scene when they're on hallucinogens that I swear to God is deadly accurate. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, there was this one dude who just was losing it. I'm like, you could feel yourself like you're on the field with them. Like, dude, you got to shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate your time. Uh, I, this is really dope. It's great to reconnect. And uh, I know a lot of people we know listen and they're going to be excited to hear your voice. So thank you for coming on, man. Yeah. And I wish I would have, you know what? I should have put two and two together because I was in your neighborhood like just, just this past, uh, we just got back two days ago because I got COVID when I was there. And my whole family got COVID and we were stuck there for, not stuck there, but we had to stay there for 10 days. So like I, a 10 day trip ended up being an, an 18 day trip. It was crazy. It's only five but, days uh, now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, next exactly. time, bro. Good, good talking to you. And Pete, you want to take us out here? Oh, dude, it was, it was, he was, it was fantastic, man. Thanks so much. Uh, I mean, uh, really what a great journey and what a, what a really cool conversation. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Um, that is uh, your episode of uh, $5 Buzz. Um, you know, on behalf of Roger and George, uh, I'm Pete. And, uh, you know, enjoy, folks. We'll see Good you night. soon. Don't forget to uh, like us and uh, email us any questions or comments you might have or any future guests you might have. $5 Buzz at gmail.com. And we'll get back to you as soon as we get done uh, playing Doom Eternal for the next 10,000 hours. Hell Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Good job. Thanks a lot, guys.